That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. And hello again, everyone. Thanks for coming in for the next hour to spend this time with me on this show is all about you as we talk about the things going on around us in some ways that get under the popular narratives and seek those areas that we can connect on as human beings, no matter where we might be, how old we are, where we live, all those things that normally we use to kind of categorize each other and far too often these days divide ourselves from one another. My show is all about getting past that. And so if you are a first time listener, thank you so much for being here. And just a reminder, you can pick up any episode of this show is all about you wherever you get your podcasts. So please do that. And thank you in advance for subscribing, for leaving me a review and for passing it on to your interested family and friends. I greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to know more about me, you can check out my website, wordsbyjdk.com has episodes of this show, as well as original writings, essays, all sorts of other things about the things that I do. Uh, I'm a writer, as well as a podcaster, and a number of other things. I'm a certified human potential coach. I do a lot, and I enjoy doing a lot. So if you would like to know more about that journey, check those things out. You can also find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and The X. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and I would be happy to connect with you. A special thank you at the front end of this show, as always, to our amazing sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, which is a nonprofit that is based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers. There are hundreds of said careers, but what makes Airway Science unique is that not only do they talk about the interests of kids to get them into these careers, but help them develop all the skills they need, not just the technical skills, but the personal skills that they need to better connect with themselves, with their peers, with their families, and with their communities. It's a very large, holistic, innovative approach that they take. And if you'd like to know more about that amazing work, please check out their website at airsci.org to learn more. And you will hear more about them during the show breaks today, a little bit later on. All right. So, I have been a little back and forth for the last handful of weeks. I uh, had a bout with COVID uh, in the midst of everything else that's been going on, and it wasn't too bad of a run this time. I had a lot of fatigue and a, uh, a really bad sore throat and no voice, which is <laughs> last, you know, I had, to, uh, I have had to run a couple of replays here in Seattle the last few weeks, but I am feeling 100% better and energized and ready for today's conversation. And so... Before we kick that off, let's start as we always do by taking a look back at important moments in the last week's news in a segment that I call What in the World is Going On? Well, it's one year since Russia's illegal annexation of four Ukrainian territories, a decision that sparked almost universal condemnation. 
Today, President Putin defended the move and claimed that Russia had become stronger for it. But Russia is not even in full control of the four region it claims to have annexed. Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia and Kherson. And more than a year and a half after its full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Russia appears no closer to winning the war there. I suppose if you're Vladimir Putin and you just say the same thing over and over again, hoping that it's true, uh, it'll just become true in the face of all evidence to the contrary. Uh, Russia is not any stronger. In fact, it's weaker than it was a year ago and certainly a lot weaker than it was a year and a half ago when the country unwisely invaded Ukraine. And it does not mean, of course, that Russia will end up losing these territories that it annexed illegally a year ago. Uh, that depends entirely on how Ukraine and Russia continue to perform on the battlefield and, importantly, how, how much support continues to come in for Ukraine and its war effort. And suddenly in the last month or so, there's been more skepticism that's developed in the United States, at least in the official political circles that make decisions on this, as well as among some NATO allies. If you were following... Um, the drama surrounding the, the potential government shutdown here in the United States. One of the things that was important in that was whether Ukraine aid was going to be a part of that package or not. That was removed from the conversation and the government wasn't shut down. But there's still a lot of debates to be had, at least on the floor of the House of Representatives, on to what degree money and equipment needs to keep being sent to Ukraine. Of course, uh, equipment continues to come to Ukraine. In fact, last week, the first of 31 Abrams main battle tanks from the United States, considered the best tanks in the world, are arriving in Ukraine and crews have been trained to use them. So they will be deploying on the battlefield soon. But also overseas, um, NATO is having to continue to work to keep up a unified front uh, to support Ukraine. In Slovakia, a pro-Kremlin uh, political party was elected into power. And so Slovakia could very well start pushing back against NATO unity around supporting Ukraine. And that is going to cause a whole series of political concerns and military concerns on the battlefield, as well as increase the tensions along the border between uh, Russian-controlled territory and NATO-controlled territory. So all of this is still, as always, very open-ended questions. Wars tend to be open-ended until they are done. But nevertheless, uh, the war continues to drag on and it's becoming more and more a test of will and the actions to follow that will to see who will follow through and who will, as they say, blink first. All right. Second story for the day, closer to home, um, a really important military figure and historical figure in recent American history uh, just resigned or just retired, I should say, and Oh, boy, did he have something to say to everyone on his way out. This is uh, retiring General Mark Milley from the Joint Chiefs of Staff. We don't take an oath to a country. We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or a queen or to a tyrant or a dictator. And we don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. We don't take an oath to an individual. We take an oath to the Constitution, and we take an oath to the idea that it's America, and we're willing to die to protect it. Wow. Very, very choice and very pointed words from Mark Milley on his way into retirement. Uh, Milley, of course, was the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, meaning the highest representatives of the military advising presidential administrations. And, and Milley was uh, certainly this under Biden, but also... 
under former President Trump. And that line in there, that small little uh, clause where he says, we don't bow to a wannabe dictator, is directed right at former President Donald Trump, who just a little over a week earlier openly said that Milley should be publicly executed for several things that Trump perceived that he did wrong uh, during Trump's administration, including not shooting at unarmed protesters outside the White House at one point, and also in the midst of the chaos of the January 6th debacle, he felt the need to call up his counterpart in China and let the Chinese know, the other big military superpower on the planet, that nothing was collapsing in this country and there was going to be no problem that China needed to be worried about. Apparently, in former President Trump's world, that's treason. You're not supposed to do that, and therefore you're supposed to be executed. And, of course, what tends to happen is those most rabid followers of the former president then started trumpeting the same thing online and in various chat, uh, chat rooms and all over the Internet. And, of course, increasing the threat of violence across the board. Already a concern. So Milley coming out and effectively saying that Trump is, sees himself as a wannabe dictator is a very clear idea on where not only Milley stands, but also by extension where the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, stand. It'll be very interesting in the years ahead on the other side of all this drama surrounding the former president. And it's hard to imagine a day when that will be over, but it will be at some point. It'll be very interesting to see what historians have to say about the degree to which Milley, when he was on the job, prevented significant significant problems with American national security during the previous administration. Because to put it just as gently as I can, the former president was cavalier in his ideas about what should happen under with American foreign policy and how the military should be used. I'm going to have a lot of things to say about these things in coming weeks, but I thought it was really notable that the number one most high profile officer in the military on his way out made such a reference. And it brings up, I think, some really important questions for those who consider themselves to be very supportive of the U.S. military and put that support side by side with open and continued support for a former president who seems to have no respect for it whatsoever. All right, and finally, on a little bit of a lighter note, but something I think that I should talk about because so many other people are talking about it, um, the National Football League might have finally met its match, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, the Eras Tour continues. Taylor Swift is in the building, <laughs> here to check out the Jets and the Chiefs, but more specifically, obviously, Travis Kelsey. Taylor Swift kicking off NFL Sunday at the Kansas City Chiefs versus New York Jets game, and continuing to fuel romance rumors between her and Travis Kelsey. There is the guest of honor in Taylor Swift. Check out Taylor cheering on the star tight end with friends Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds. Okay, if you're a longtime listener to this show, you know I don't normally go in on things like this. I don't normally comment. But I'm going to today for a couple of reasons. Um, I am a sports fan. I enjoy the NFL. I'm a fan of NFL football. I can't say I'm as big of a fan of the NFL as an organization. I think that, generally speaking, the ownership and the commissioner's office care a lot more care more about one thing than any other and that is making money. I think they do that at the expense of the larger health of their players. They had to be taken to court to cre- actually create a retirement uh, system that protected former players and helped pay for things like 
their massive concussions and injuries and the cost of all that. And I think they're really, really slow to respond to problems that happen in their ranks in the case of a domestic abuse situation, drug use, anything like that. They, they protect the shield, as they say, at all costs. And for that reason, I'm not a huge fan of them as an organization. So I cannot help but chuckle at the fact that not so much that Taylor Swift is um, kind of taking over conversations about uh, NFL football games, but that the NFL has no idea what to do about it. <laughs> now, full disclosure, I am not a Taylor Swift fan. I'm also not a hater. In fact, I have a lot of respect for her. I know some of her songs. I, they're catchy. I understand why she's popular. And I understand why she has a pretty devoted following. I personally have never seen anything like it. I've never seen anybody this globally popular with this amount of passion behind her. But the effect that she had by showing up a week ago the first time to an NFL game Travis Kelsey, her supposed beau, who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, sales of his jersey went through the roof. The viewing numbers for the NFL among the demographic of girls starting at age 10, going up through young women, 25, increased by almost 40% over the course of two weeks. And, of course, all the stories about how legendary it is that when Taylor Swift goes through a breakup, she writes a song about somebody, about the person she broke up with, and it goes global Um, (laughs) has led to a lot of jokes about the NFL sweating about what happens if she indeed, she and Kelsey, don't go the distance uh, and make it in the long run as a couple. I just think it's hilarious that everyone commenting on this is like, oh, the NFL has no idea what it's getting itself in for. I like the idea of the NFL having a sense that it doesn't have full control over something because they kind of tell themselves they do when they don't. So I'm just, I'm kind of keeping one eye on that. And you know what? More power to you, Taylor. <laughs> go, go ahead and <laughs> keep doing your thing because you know what? Um, it's certainly coming from a better place than I think a lot of decision makers uh, in the NFL where they're coming from. Okay. All right. So that's the news uh, for this week. And the last few weeks, if you've been listening to previous episodes, I've been talking a lot about transitions. And transitions um, in the sense of the big ones, right? And it all started with a few weeks ago. Last month, I turned 50. And and, uh, while in some ways that's not necessarily a bigger deal than turning 49 is or turning 51, there is something about those big round numbers, particularly 50, that gets, at least got me, very introspective and thinking about what comes next and what things are behind. And with transitions, uh, at least effective transitions, I think, there have to be a few different ingredients One, a recognition that something is over, right? Or something is in the past or something is not going to happen again, whether just by the very nature of things or by choice, that those things in the past are done. It also requires a recognition that uh, in the moment, we each, whoever's going through that transition, in this case me, has choices to make on what that looks like and how to feel about it. I say time and time again on this show, as well as on my other show with my friend Tawny Santabria, Breaking Up With Our BS, that we have a lot more choice over our feelings about things and how we respond to them than we often think. So I think an awareness of that and a willingness to, out of curiosity, explore possibilities is also required. And as I mentioned a couple of previous episodes ago, I think it's also really vital in the midst of transitions to have support around those transitions. Even if that support is simply people who know what's happening and can empathize and perhaps give advice if necessary, uh, but really to just be there, connections, 
of various kinds of people who can perhaps open doors or, you know, warn you off of something based on their experience or based on their knowledge. I think all those things together really help out with transitions. So I've been talking a lot about that uh, these past few weeks, and I'm going to continue talking about it today. So when we come back from our first break here on this show is all about you, I'll talk about a well, at least one story that I think will frame this for the rest of the day. But really what I want to talk about on the other end of this is really about equity okay, and what I mean by equity. So come on back here in just a minute. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin, talking about transitions once again. And uh, what I want to talk about today is based in really, at least the initial story here, is based in something that listeners know is really important to me, and and that's baseball. Um, I talked about football before the break. Now I'm talking about baseball after the break. In particular, the end of the baseball season. Uh, October is, of course, every baseball season when every team in Major League Baseball, all 30 teams, is shooting to get to because October is the month for the playoffs leading up to the World Series, and whoever wins the World Series is crowned the champion of the league. And uh, my team is the Seattle Mariners being up here in the Pacific Northwest, and over the weekend, uh, they didn't quite make it. They missed the playoffs by one game. (laughs) Now, to put that in context for those of you who are not baseball fans, the regular season in Major League Baseball consists of 162 baseball games. 81 of those games held in the home ballpark of whatever team it is, and 81 on the road. And this year, Major League Baseball created a new schedule where every single team plays each other at some point in the course of the year. So all 30 teams play one another throughout the course of the season, And they keep track, and of course, whoever wins the most in these various divisions goes to the playoffs, and the people who win those divisions uh, play against one another, and they decide a champion. Well, the Mariners fell one game short, and last year they actually got in (laughs) with one game to spare, and it was the first time in 21 years that they had made the playoffs. And if you scroll back to those shows from a year ago, you'll hear my reactions to all of that. Well... This year was disappointment. Now, they got into the, the playoffs last year and didn't, uh, didn't make it to the World Series, which was a bummer, but it was great that they made it. So this year, I was hoping that they would make it again, and then they would keep move a little further this time. Who knows? You know, they're a pretty good team overall. But they didn't, and oh, it was disappointing. <laughs> it was disappointing. 
And it reminded me when, when I was younger and I took these things a lot harder than I do now. When I was a kid, I lived and died with my teams. And when they lost, which the very nature of competitive sports with leagues is your team is going to lose a lot more in the long run than it is going to win in terms of championships. When that happened, I was, could be pretty despondent. And it took me a lot of years to unravel my own sense of mood and place from however my team happened to do um, on a given day. And one of the adages in baseball is you shouldn't get too high when you win and you shouldn't get too low when you lose because there's 162 games and you have a lot of time to correct. You also have a lot of time to, um, to slide if you aren't careful. And so that's one of the great appeals of baseball. But in the end, the season does come to an end. And out of the 30 teams, only one of the 30 is going to be really excited by the end of the season. The rest will be disappointed. And my team is one of those 29 that finished the season uh, disappointed. And the reason I bring it up is I was noting the reactions among the players uh, to this. And, of course, the players far beyond the fans are the ones most disappointed and the most crestfallen and the most frustrated, full of all the emotions, because, of course, they're the ones who've been doing this for the last six months. They're the ones playing a game every day in conditions um, from really cold at the beginning and the end of the season in a lot of ways to blazing hot in the middle of the season, flying around the country on a regular basis. And uh, it's a lot of hours, and it's a lot of hours to prep. It's a lot of hours to, to rehab injuries and to... Uh, to get ready for games and the mental side of it. And it's a lot. And that's what they do for a living. And they're paid handsomely to do it by any measure. But nevertheless, when that's what you do and the whole goal of it is to win the whole thing, when you don't, you can have a lot of reactions. And the reactions that some of them had uh, were really powerful. Uh, some were, were very frustrated and vented that and, and openly wished that they'd had a few more players that were added to the roster to help them get over the top. Others were completely silent, and some players, after elimination, just ducked the media entirely. And in the end, these are all professionals, and the idea is at some point you put that aside, you deal with the disappointment, and you move on. And it's interesting how when we talk about it in a professional sense with, with big ball players and things like that, we all kind of have that expectation that, right, in, in a few months, four months down the line, all these players and maybe some new ones, maybe fewer from this team if they leave, will gather together uh, for spring training and start over again and will be motivated, rejuvenated, will have worked on a few things they wanted to improve on, and will be ready to do this whole 162-game slog again and hopefully reach a different conclusion. And it's interesting that we just have that expectation of them. And because they're professionals and because they're paid well to do it. But wow, isn't that also interesting too, that if we shift that from the professional realm and talk about it in the personal realm, we have these big questions about putting these things aside. Can we get past them? You know, whatever, whatever our defeat has been, whatever we have fallen short on, whenever a big endeavor hasn't turned out the way we hoped it would when we put a lot into it. And it could be anything. It could be in a job that could be coming to an end. It could be in a relationship that could be coming to an end or seemingly uh, it might be headed in that direction. It can be when there's a sudden loss or a sudden, um, you know, and there's grief involved or a change in health status or who knows. It could be all these things. But oftentimes these ends 
unlike a baseball season where we know at the end of September the season's going to end for somebody and, you know, a month later will end for everybody else. Unlike that, we oftentimes don't see the ends coming until they're really arriving. And we can take ourselves through these exercises of, oh, I should have seen this coming. Oh, I should have prepared better for this. And there might be some validity in some of those things, depending on the circumstances. But one of the things that we don't do is kind of give ourselves the same expectation and the same push and the same confidence that we give to these professional athletes that, oh, they'll get over this, they're professionals, and they'll move on. Uh, you don't have to be a professional to get on, to get along with anything. You don't we don't have to be professional human beings insofar as we just have to do these, moving on to these new things because that's our profession. We can do that in our personal lives. And I think that's something that we don't often talk about, at least in that context. Instead, what we end up doing is we can, if we're not careful, spend so much time going through what happened, how we got to this point, uh, what does it all mean, the existential elements to that, uh, the angst that comes with that, and then get lost in the feelings about it and have our confidence really eroded for those next steps. And what I want to suggest here is that if we separate this from the professionalism, we, we somehow treat that as if it's somehow dividing our emotions off from things. If we get out of that realm and apply that same confidence that we can feel the loss, that we can admit that something is ending, and we can sit with that feeling, and then we can move and start preparing for the next season. We can do that. We might find ourselves to not only be better off in the long run, but to perhaps better face all of the challenges that come with the end of things and the uncertainties that follow the end of things than we would if we really just kind of let ourselves get lost in the whole thing. And so if that resonates with you, I would ask you to sit with that and perhaps find an example, maybe something in the past that has happened where there's been an end, or perhaps something that you are facing now that is a challenge. Maybe you're in the midst of your own transition and things are always transitioning, right? There's changes a constant in life. But if there is something major that is changing, Perhaps sit with that and reflect a little bit on what are the feelings that really come up around that? And what are the thoughts, just as importantly, if not more, what are the thoughts that come up? Are they thoughts and ideas based around, I can do whatever's next, let me go do that? Are they fear-based thoughts like, oh, I have to go figure out something, I need to go do something? Perhaps it's a job and it's a sudden loss of one and you're wondering, do I need to go <laughs> just get a, a stopgap job for a little while to, to sort of make ends meet? Uh, where, where do those things come from? What are the emotional states, the emotional palettes, the emotional frameworks you tend to operate from when things are coming to an end or when something has to change? And again, it doesn't mean that if something warrants grief, or something warrants anger or frustration or disappointment, that somehow we shouldn't feel those things, right? Because losses, ends of things, don't feel good. <laughs> and, and perhaps they shouldn't. 
right? And perhaps that's the whole point, is oftentimes our biggest growth moments come from the most difficult of circumstances. And oftentimes those difficult circumstances come from things that end, whether it's unexpected or anticipated. It doesn't change the feelings at the end, no matter how much we might worry about them, no matter how much we might prepare for them, they still don't feel great. And just like professional ball players, who, if they sat back and think about it, go, well, the statistical chance of our team making it all the way to the end and winning this uh, based on all these different factors might be really low. And yet they still go out and they play the season. They still go out and find reasons to continue to get better at what they do. I'm always amazed by the teams that are, don't do so well at the beginning and the middle of the season and they just drop off the pace and there's no chance at all that they're able to make it to the playoffs because they're losing way too many games compared to the teams that are at the top. I'm always amazed at how they continue to keep going. Now, it's easy to say they're going to keep going because that's in their contract and they're getting paid an ungodly amount of money to continue to do it. And undoubtedly, that's a motivator, right? It would be a motivator for me if I was making the league minimum um, in Major League Baseball, which is $500,000 at bare minimum. I would be motivated too, even if my team was 30 games out of first place, to continue to play in part because I would like to keep playing for $500,000 a year or more for as long as I can. That is certainly a factor. And I think it's also a mistake, though, on top of that, to say that loving the game and loving to play the game isn't a major part of that and wanting to get better at playing that game isn't a part of that. I think it's also a mistake to say that just because a team isn't um, in first place or has no chance of going to the playoffs, that they still don't like each other or work with each other as a team and try to get better over the course of a season, individually and as a team. There are example after example you can find in every baseball season of teams doing exactly that with the recognition that they want to build those skills as individuals and as a team to improve things in the moment and improve things for the future. Because of course, at the end of the season, teams from the front office, from the ownership, all the way down through the players have a bunch of meetings, they have a bunch of discussions, they go through a ton of research, and they decide on their next move. Some players leave for other teams. Other teams other teams bring in new players. Sometimes the general manager positions are replaced or the coaches are replaced. Every once in a while, ownership changes. But for the most part, all of this goes into this evaluation of not only why things went a certain way, but how to move to the next step beyond them is a collective effort. And it comes from, yes, a responsibility in the sense that they're all professionals and that's what you're being paid to do. But also because all these people are invested in these outcomes and it's around, yes, it's around a game, but it's around something that people are passionate for. I would suggest that there's something for all of us to learn in that, even if we can't necessarily relate to the exorbitant amount of money that these players make. I think we can draw some things from this example. Number one, disappointment is reality. You might as well acknowledge it when it happens, when things end. Disappointment, frustration, anger sometimes, um, pain, second guessing. All those things can come up and they have to <laughs> at some level. They're a reflection of how much we care about the thing that just ended and how much we invested in that thing that just ended. And 
to acknowledge that it's painful, that it is ending. And then what, though, becomes the next question, because there is another season, right? The new season is coming, and every Major League Baseball person will tell you that as soon as one season is over, they start preparing for the next season, depending on what that is. There is very little time that they take to just, you know, ignore anything or to escape from something. Uh, and they start working on the very next season. And they, the best ones do it in such a way that they don't deny the disappointment of the ending. They take a look at what it means for them. And in the best cases, they do a lot of self-analysis and look back and go, okay, if we, we should have done this and this and this, or we could have done these things a little bit better. Let's commit to doing those things now. Sometimes that involves some new approaches, and that can look like a lot of different things. I think it can be the same for all of us. And it goes back to what I said at the top of the show are all the things that we need in order to do effective transitions. The first <laughs> fits into this. You have to admit that something is over. And you have to let it go eventually. In this case, a job ending or a relationship ending. To let the pain of that be real and then to admit the reality eventually that it is over and that the feelings that you have about it over time will diminish. But to let that go and not try to go back and replay the whole thing or reclaim the whole thing. The same way a Major League Baseball player can't go back to any given game and go redo it again in an effort to avoid that outcome. It is done and done. That's the first thing. A second thing that I mentioned at the top of the show, the ability to take a good look at oneself and, and choose how best to approach this. Okay, I can be positive about these things that I've learned and choosing to do new and curious about what will actually improve things. It also might involve some hard decisions on, you know, what's the next step, what things we need to work on. It might take a good look in the mirror as to what was our responsibility for the thing that ended and what can we learn from that? Where perhaps were mistakes made or did we fall short? And then finally, the third thing I mentioned was a lot of people to be a part of the process, a lot of connection, a lot of feedback, a bunch of people that you know are in it together with you in whatever degree they are. And in our own lives, that can be moral support, family support, friends support. It can be the connections that we might have in our professions, or even among our friends, uh, to bring on new things. Trust in our own skills, not only in the things that we've done, but if it's a job, how our skills might transfer to something else. And our willingness to try something new and get outside of our own comfort zone might be the step forward to having a next season that is more successful than the previous one. It doesn't mean that the previous season was less it just means it's, it didn't go to where or as far as we hoped it would. So perhaps the next one can if we take the lessons from that previous season and apply it to the next. And in order to do that, we have to admit that that previous season is done. And sometimes when that's applied in the personal realm, that can be really tough, really tough. Because unlike a baseball season that we know is coming again, we don't know personally what our next season may look like. And that can freeze us in place sometimes. And I know certainly that has happened to me in the past. 
So that point, in that sense, it makes it a little bit more challenging. But all those lessons still stand, and all those things, I think, still apply. When we come back from the break, I'll have a little bit more to say about that in a way that hopefully will resonate with you. So come on back here on This Show is All About You. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. Another uh, episode about transitions, and I use the example of the end of the baseball season, uh, for my team at least, <laughs> before the break, to talk a little bit about the, the sort of the difficulties of what we run into and the choices that we have when transitions are going on and how we feel about them. And, of course, the flip side of, of the challenge of just facing the sadness of the end of something um, is that uncertainty, which oftentimes breeds fear, about what is to come next. And one of the things that can get in the way for any of us, whether we're a professional ball player or, or, or not, is um, a desire to avoid all of those really uncomfortable fear-based things, right, about what's next. Uh, and one of the things that can happen, at least it's happened in my case, and I've seen it happen in a lot of different quarters, uh, particularly recently, is um, there can be a lot of blame um, as a way of trying to avoid various realities or in trying to cope with the challenges that we might be feeling emotionally. Um, you know, when things end and things end poorly, you know, particularly in a bad way, a, a job or a relationship when, they, when, they, when it's just not very pleasant, uh, is it can be easy to fall into that or to be maybe a bit more charitable because there might be some blame <laughs> you know, to put around, some very real blame. To, to be more charitable about it, saying instead perhaps the challenge can be what we choose to focus on in all of that. And I've had conversations with a lot of friends recently who are going through various transitions in various ways about that very thing. Uh, what are the things about a certain situation that make it easier to move forward if we focus on them as opposed to some other element of the situation? And one of the things that a friend of mine and I were talking about uh, just today, actually, uh, that we agreed on was, boy, it makes a lot more sense um, and seems a lot easier to focus on um, steps that we can take that will be empowering in the midst of these transitions for ourselves. And instead of focusing on, even if it's really justified frustration, <laughs> justified anger even, um, towards other people or towards a larger situation, that can actually freeze us up. Because when, man, when we want somebody to take responsibility for something that they've done that has directly affected us in a negative way, we really want them to admit it. We really want them to own it. We really want them to, 
take that accountability and say, yep, this is on me. I apologize. Let's work for something better. <laughs> we all want that. And ideally, that is what uh, people should be doing. And in the case of this particular incident, which I will not give the details on, what I will say is there's a lot of that accountability that could be taken uh, by a number of different people. And yet, what that was doing to, in the course of you know, people being affected by this is they were suffering uh, by focusing on that more so than they would if they focused on what in this situation can be taken as a positive for next steps. And when I sit and think and kind of breathe into it and pay attention to the emotions in myself and, and the feelings in my body when I do that, there is a distinct difference in feeling and thought and mood between those two things. If I zoom in on the anger and the frustration and all those things and the wanting somebody else to do differently than they're doing, ugh, it feels icky. When I focus on, okay, that's what's happening. I don't like it. And alongside that, not liking it with all those feelings, what can I focus on as far as next steps that would allow me to feel like I'm moving forward? I feel a lot looser. I feel calmer. I breathe better. My mood definitely shifts. And when I sit with that for a little while, I get more excited about the possibilities of things. And the possibility of things can bring about feelings of, okay, it's possible for, that I could do these things and things would be even better in this next season. We can also look at possibility and go, yeah, but there's also the possibility that all these negative things might happen and things might be worse. Well, to use the analogy I've been working with today, you have to play the season. The only way to get to the end of the baseball season to see if you have a chance of playing for the championship is to play 162 regular season games and see where you end up compared to the rest of the league. In a case of our own lives, we're not really playing against another league. Uh, you could say that we're in a competitive environment and in our career path we might be. But really, in the end, that's, that all exists whether we want to say it does or not. Really, in the end, our season is against ourselves. Our next season is how better do we play with the skills that we have, with the team that we assemble, with, you know, with the approach that we take, with the attitude that we take. The most successful people, and I don't mean just monetarily, but the ones who are most successful in terms of feeling good about themselves, their sense of place and their sense of purpose, and they feel like they are doing positive things for themselves and those around them, are the people who continue, despite having things end or run into you know, blocks or challenges, they continue to move forward while acknowledging all of the difficulty and all the emotions and feeling the emotions of those disappointments. And using that on the other side of that as motivation to continue to try to make their next steps from a different place, from a place of growth, from a place of perspective, and a place of kind of sifting out what really matters and what doesn't in ways that they haven't done before. Because in the end, who decides whether we are successful or not? We do. Because we get to decide what that looks like. We get to decide what that means. 
often what the way we see success is monetary success and certainly being able to have enough money to make ends meet and to build the types of lives that we want matters and there's some realities to that and so figuring out where that fits though side by side with all the other things that make life worth living relationships activities hobbies side hustles dreams that we're working towards exploring new things, going new places. All of that has to be measured out, balanced, sorted, resorted, evaluated, tried out <laughs> in order for us to figure out what that actually looks like. We get to decide that. And that's going to look a little bit different. One of the things that can happen to me sometimes is that, I mean, if I were to measure myself around my financial success, I don't think I would ever consider myself to be that successful. Although I'm getting better at that, which I feel good about. But if I take a look at my success as feeling much more connected to myself, feeling good that the things that I work on on the side, including this show and in my writing, are things that I feel good doing and I feel contribute to larger conversations or larger enjoyment and larger opportunities for other people to engage in things that matter, I feel pretty pretty successful in that. When I evaluate that against where I was 12 years ago, <laughs> a complete disaster, <laughs> I am really successful. If I measure it by the quality of my relationships, including with myself, my spiritual relationship, my friendships, and every other type of relationship, man, I'm a lot more successful now than I used to be. And that's the thing. I think success is not only an inside job, we define it ourselves, but it continues to evolve and to grow and to redefine itself, just as we do. And it's probably one of the reasons why in so much of what I do and what I focus on, I get so focused on wanting to connect to other people and also help other people as much as I have that ability to discover some of these things for themselves and to start exploring some of these things for themselves, whether because it's, I share something they've never heard of before and they look into it on their own or there's something about myself or that what I'm sharing or what I'm talking about that they really relate to. And they take a look at what I've done and they go, Oh wow. Okay. In my context, I'd like to do this, 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 and this. I've been so fortunate over the last handful of years to have a lot of people in various ways bring those things to me and say, you know, I was thinking about this. I don't have the interest that you do here, but I do over here, and I'm wondering what you think of that. And that is deeply satisfying because in the end, for me at least, one of the areas where success is defined for me is to what degree... Am I, have I helped open up a sense of new possibilities with all the curiosity, wonder, excitement, um, everything that comes with that for somebody who perhaps never considered these things before? You know, um, I've, I've helped several people uh, begin writing projects when they never considered themselves to be a writer and to watch them get so connected to it and be excited about it and feel the possibility and the, the pleasure that comes from just writing itself, sorting things out 
by writing has been of immense joy to me. And that feels like success. Uh, I used to feel that way a lot when I was teaching um, and helping people who didn't really connect with history find something in history to connect with. It's one of the things that I love about human potential coaching is allowing someone, giving someone the space to really explore what's going on with them and identify the areas where they want to grow, where they want to improve, where they want to redefine things uh, has been immensely rewarding and that's successful. When I think of you know places like Airway Science for Kids, who you've heard about on a couple of breaks and you should really check out at airsci.org, I think of the 4,000 kids that they served last year and introduced them, many of them from, most of them from low income communities who do not have the resources to not only introduce students to the wonders that are out there in the aerospace world, but they don't have the resources to get kids started moving in, in that interest. It tends to be a really expensive field. To learn how to fly a plane costs a lot of money, right? To, to get into the industry, you have to go to school and that costs a lot of money. And some schools and communities have resources, others don't. Airway Science for Kids helped 4,000 kids get excited about not just aerospace, but perhaps more importantly, introduced them and connected them to the possibility of different things, different outcomes, possible avenues that could open up a whole different type of life than they may have thought was available to them. So many of those kids, and I've been fortunate to meet some of them over the course of Airway Science for Kids sponsoring this show, I've heard them say, I never thought this was something I would ever be able to do because of A, B, C, or D. As far as I'm concerned, any organization that helps 4,000 kids connect with their own sense of possibility and their own sense of empowerment and their own decision-making capability and their own curiosity about what they might be able to do and to connect them to people who can help them do that and build that confidence, I don't know. I ask, I ask almost anybody, can you do better than that? What is better than that? Particularly if you're an organization like Airway Science and you follow through on helping those students from the moment they get connected all the way up to when they're able to get into their chosen career field and find success. I'm not sure there is anything better. And it's the reason why, in the case of Airway Science, everybody who's there and everybody's a part of that organization uh, is dedicated to exactly that. And it raises, of course, some really important questions, I think, about why the pursuit of equity in our larger society is so important. And notice that I didn't say equality. I said equity. Equity meaning opportunity across the board for people. The chance across the board for people to engage and find avenues for themselves in ways that don't prevent it for anybody else. It is an elusive thing in America. It's an elusive thing around the world, uh, as we all know. And there are plenty of examples from a lot of different directions about that. But that's what it gets me thinking about, right? Because in the end, our own definitions of success, of course, are self-defined. But I cannot help but wonder to what degree can we really enjoy our own personal success 
if others are not finding the equitable avenues to finding their own success and sharing that alongside ours. I guess the larger question I'm asking is to what degree are our notions of success connected to those of others? And that's a very open-ended question that I'd like to explore starting next week, actually. So I hope that next week you will join me for another episode of this show is all about you, where we dig into that idea of equity and what it looks like. And I have a couple of stories that I'll share around that to illustrate what I mean. And I, I hope you'll be here for that. In the meantime, though, thank you for joining me for this episode of this show is all about you. I really appreciate you spending this time with me today. And so thank you for that. I also want to make sure I give a thank you to Hubbard Radio Seattle, which produces and distributes this show is all about you. Thank you to Eric Ryder. He's my in-studio producer, editor, and mixmaster. Thanks, as always, Eric. A thanks, of course, to Airway Science for Kids for the sponsorship of this show is all about you. And thanks to Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media for the show's uh, original theme music. Thanks also to contributing to this episode and all that went well for me in the past week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Dean Cameron, Bruce and Cindy Bullard, Phil McCoy, Ken and Margaret Winnikin, Brittany Johnson, Mary Olson, Seth Mormon, Phil McCoy, Ashley Knievel, Heidi Lloyd, Bruce Flommer, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thank you also to all of you who know that I love baseball very much. All your messages of condolences that at the end of the Mariners season. Thank you for that. I didn't play the season, so they're the ones who need the condolences. But thank you so much for empathizing with my pain. And of course, to all of you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And finally, to send us all off into the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. Learning to fly high is made better by helping others do the same. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>